Hi, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On the podcast today, we have an inspiring conversation with someone who's going to be discussing a resource that I think everyone involved in international education should be checking out. Anyone who believes that being identity affirming is part of what schooling is all about. I think this episode will resonate with you. But first, we have a little bit of business, um, an announcement about an upcoming professional learning opportunity. Who are the students in our care and how do we honor their diverse identities? What role do diversity, equity, and cultural background play in building relationships? How can we address diversity, equity, inclusion, and cultural competence explicitly in our counseling programs and in the curriculum? If you're passionate about those questions, watch out to learn more about culturally responsive counseling in the international school. Facilitated by Cheryl Ann Weeks and Shannon Leone this July from the 11th to the 15th hosted by the Principals Training Center. You can learn more about this outstanding opportunity to learn over in the show notes. And speaking of the show notes, I do want to let you know right here from the very top of the episode that you will be able to learn more about Fandy, who is our inspiring guest on the show. You'll be able to learn more about Fandy and more about the amazing community and the amazing resources that she is creating over there in the show notes. In fact, I would almost recommend you pause this episode right now, you head over to the show notes, you check out Fandy's website, you follow her on social media, and then come on back for our conversation. Enjoy today's episode. Hi. Well, hello, my name is Fandy, Fandy Dinei Rosero Escajon. Uh, well, you find me on LinkedIn as uh, Fandi Dine and on Twitter, one Fandi Dine. Uh, yes, so those are my social media handles. Oh, I am located right now in Ireland, um, but I'm not from Ireland. <laughs> I, was, I was born in Colombia. Uh, Spanish is my first language and, and uh, English is my first language. For a long time, I've been in international uh, or teaching abroad since, actually it's been 20 years now since I, I left uh, Colombia. And and in all of this journey, I've always have learned to navigate, navigate and switch on and off different parts of my identity according to whether I was looking for a job or how did I see I was being received or, or, or all of that. So um, so for for many reasons, many times I just didn't want to share where I was from. I didn't want to share that I had this length of names and many other things just just to be able to fit and sort of like access or opportunities. So I really yeah, welcome that um, in that regard. I'm just I'm so thankful for your time and coming to share your expertise and your wisdom. Um, listeners, I think this is one of those episodes that uh, you're going to want to share with everybody in your life who is working in in education. Fandia, I'd like to sort of start by discussing a core question that is on your website and listeners that link is in the show notes as will be, um, Fandi, your social media handles that you reference. Those will be there in the show notes as well. You have this great question on your website where you're inviting us in the world of education to think about the following, quote, are your learners understood as a whole person? I would just love for you to talk more about like the nuances of that question and how it is that we as educators 
can better come to meet that question? Um, again, it's a really important one, and I would just love to hear you discuss it a, a little bit more. Yeah, and yeah, and thank you, thank you for that. And part of what I was saying, part of all of this conversation is going to be sort of like finally making sense. Uh, I think as educators or international educators, many times we don't realize, we think we are being maybe, you know, technical or we're being just professionals. And we sort of like leave that part that is human, you know, from, from ourselves. And, and, and I think it takes a lot of reflection to realize, no, when you come into the classroom, you're not coming as an objective, you know, entity there. You're coming as a human, as a person with uh, experiences, with knowledge and skills that, that are integrated in who you are. And, and that is why at the beginning of this conversation with you, I wanted to, to bring out who I am and that will make you that will help you understand the work of holistic education and the work with the IJ continuum. Uh, because as I was saying earlier, um, for example, I wasn't trained as a teacher. Like when I went to university, I didn't, I, I have been teaching Spanish in international schools. I, I, I started teaching in South Korea and I was there for the best decade of my life when, <laughs> when I was young. And so, and then from South Korea, uh, I've been teaching then in Italy. I taught there. I also taught in Uganda and China, and now I'm here in Ireland. And what I, what I realized maybe two, three years ago when I was thinking about my philosophy, my teaching philosophy, not only three years ago, but maybe three years ago, it's sort of like, aha, uh -huh, this, is, this is what it is. I've always known that because I didn't train, uh, my bachelor was um, in speech and language therapy. Um, I will always study the, the person. I studied the child. That's what we call it in international in, in, in speech and language therapy. Uh, the child, the development of the child in terms of like, you know, the context of the child and family and learning the language in, in, in education and everything as, as a whole being. And it wasn't until later on that I started teaching in, in you know, K to 12 international schools that I realized I'm supposed to teach Spanish, you know what I mean? And to teach the subject. But for me, I wasn't ever just teaching the subject. I felt like I was teaching the students. And, and, I, and I felt like that was a per perspective that no many educators were. Because when you were teach and maybe focus on the technicalities of the, of the subject, then you lose sight of, of who's in front of you. Right. And so so then I started like, you know, learning and researching and reading about holistic education. And that's where I felt like, oh, I resonate with that. I align with this thinking. And I, and I was thinking, like, who were sort of like the initial thought leaders that I connected to? And that was just like I, I got this name for you, uh, John Miller. <laughs> John Miller and holistic education. And it perhaps, perhaps if you see it in writing, I don't spell it with that double U. And some people might think like, oh, this is because she doesn't speak English, but it's actually intentional. Uh, the holistic education doesn't have the double U. Holistic in that regard, seeing that the, the child is a holistic person means seeing that how that, that student is interconnected to everything else, right? And this is applying the continuum later on in the sense of the conceptual framework because 
holistic education is just sort of like a way of, of bringing and sort of reminding ourselves that this indigenous knowledge, see, from so many ancient traditions, that's what we have been, you know, uh, learning uh, that we are more than just people, you know, doing things. We are beings, no, no, not just focusing on, on, on what we do. So, uh, so understanding the, the student as a whole person, I think is even more relevant now since we have realized, you know, what's happened after COVID and everything, that students are, we are not just there to see students as, you know, technical beings, right? So people who are just going to learn from our subjects uh, or the skills that we're teaching, the subject that we're teaching, but as a person with a whole identity, when, with a level of you know connectedness, uh, and that's I think that's what we have to nurture. I I couldn't agree more, and you know nurturing that. What I feel very fortunate to have heard you speak about nurturing that is not a tick box, right? It is not like you were saying. It's not if we are learning to do this as educators. It's not about like hey we can just do this in a year or you know here is a, a perfect set of next instructions for how you do this but it, it's sustaining our learning sustaining our conversations around how to do that and making sure i think too as educators we also are given that same um you know sense of honoring of also thinking about who we are as educators and what our experiences have been um, and and again when uh, this is going back a few weeks uh, i was just so happy to to just listen to you spell out more of the details of your vision at an aloc session um, and i know that you've you've partnered with them in bringing your your vision and this opportunity to schools around the world um, and I know that there are folks who will be listening who they're not yet familiar with your identity, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging justice continuum. Um, and I just, uh, it, it's such a, a beautiful reimagining, as you were saying, of what school's purpose is. Um, and I, I would love for you to take listeners through what it might mean for a school to bring this into their community and what that process is like. Okay. Yes. So first, uh, I must say the way I call it is called IDEI continuum uh, because it's much easier to say because, you know, with the Spanish language, we tend to, you know, not spell out <laughs> the acronyms, but just say it. Uh, but also because the reason why it's called that and has so many letters is because it's, it's been my way or our way to scaffolding schools uh, because uh, it is a holistic uh, system of support for schools. However, we are sort of like giving the tools for, for schools to understand. So with school uh, or school leaders or communities or whatever uh, phase or entry point we have, many don't understand that there is a need for exploration of identity, including institutional identity, and then our understanding of diversity and, and everything. So ideally, it would lovely to be just talking about equality across the board, right? But because we, what we don't name, we don't notice. So I'm as a language teacher, I know that, right? And so that's why I felt the need that it has to be spelled out, right? And 
And with that regard as well, I, I am an IB uh, affiliate, IB workshop leader, school visiting team members. I'm working on my teaching and learning advanced research with the University of Bath and stuff like that. And I'm a very reflective educator. And with that regard, because of that, then I realized that international mindfulness, um, you know, intercultural competence. We, we're not naming things and that's why we're not noticing it. When you go to the doctor, I don't know if, if, if I shared this with you uh, during the community vision, but when you go to the doctor, you don't go not saying anything. Like, I mean, you, you sort of like have an awareness of you're naming where it hurts, right? But many times, especially when we see in the social media or LinkedIn when I spend most of my time or Facebook, <laughs> We are not naming things, and that happens as well. You know, as, as an IB uh, educator, I know this. Like, it's, it's very colorblind, it's genderless, it's like we're not saying things. And that's starting with the name, with a day continuum. That's why it's all spelled out. And we, you know, the fight for equality, that's what that's the vision. But in the meantime, we have to learn to talk about things and, and, and what we need to address. And yes, uh, so how the this began. It began with ALOC because that was the space, you know, as an educator of color after, you know, maybe number 14 years working in international schools, I felt that I didn't have a voice. And many times I had just faced so many barriers and ALOC was the space where, where I could, uh, you know, talk about these things. And I was like, I'm not crazy. It's the same. Like, just sort of like find that it's happening across. And, and, and so it came from that. And as you know, with George Floyd, we were discussing like, how can we now? Because we, we had students, right? That, that were sharing these experiences online and, and not only related to race and racism and stuff like that, but across the board, how like they felt, you know, the, the curriculum wasn't responding to them and, and how, uh, you know, the, the harm that international schools have sort of ignored. And I don't want to alienate any of your, of your listeners uh, or any leaders listening uh, to this, but um, I think with the day continuum, what we start is seeing the reality. So if we don't look deeply into what we are doing and, and from the lens that we haven't done it before, then how can we sort of like innovate? International education is big in innovation. You know, we welcome, not that we welcome, but we were really quick to, to shift gears when, when COVID came and get techni technically ready, get the Zoom accounts, get all this stuff. And there were, there were problems and massive challenges, but sort of like schools were able to, you know, secure spaces for learning. But when it comes to the human side of things, the human side of students, we are not so quick to embrace and change the paradigm and say, hey, we need to reimagine this, right? And so I'm sort of like in talking about two things at the same time. So the need for the continuum came from that, from that realization that as educators, we have faced so many barriers, not only, uh, you know, in terms of work of accessing teaching opportunities, but in terms of like who's listening to us, who sees us as, you know, as experts or as people with, with valid knowledge in this, in, this, in this field. So huge things there. 
And, and that is my invitation to reimagine international school. I really align with that idea that the next stage of international education is the humanistic um, era because technology is always gonna be there. And I know it's more comfortable to say, well, now we have all of this technology than to, see, than to say we have served these students this way. You can't measure it, you can't put you, you know, your statistics, so perhaps it's not so shiny. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think that is the next stage or the next era of international education. Sort of like, yeah, how can we reimagine it? Since so far we have focused on, you know, the global competences in terms of like competing globally for the market, for the work, stuff like that. So can we think of international education where we bring all of these cultures together and we learn from, from, from the students that we have in front of us who are diverse, who have different lived experiences, different uh, you know genders different abilities different you know uh, neuro capacities and stuff like that so what is the next stage and that's what i would like to evidence through with a continuum so you mentioned ALOC. so that that was sort of like the, the where, where it started and that's why the continuum has a sort of like dual purpose on the one side is the system of support of the program of support that we offer in schools and, and on the other side, that would also help us sort of like evidence that, that change in international education through the milestones. <laughs> I, I, you know, and, and again, I think, you know, you mentioned not wanting to alienate school leaders or listeners, but I think if you are alienated by reality and by education that is valuing all of the types of humans who exist and have existed through the history of the world, that's an issue, right? Like I, um, I, I think you, what you're talking about is bringing a change that's really long overdue, very, very long overdue, especially in international education where it's almost cliche to hear schools say things like we value diversity. Um, you know, your, your continuum in my mind is almost sort of a, how right mm -hmm. like how do you not just you know are the words in the mission statement is there a quote-unquote international day on your calendar how and why and when right um I, and and that's I, I really just appreciate that and you know what you're talking about earlier you referenced um thinking about the identity of an institution I'd love to talk about the identity of your continuum and how um, it's been developed in community with others. And um, if you might speak about, you know, how just different perspectives came into that collaborative process, because of course your continuum uh, will have an identity um, and is like, I think, you know, building a legacy as well. Yes, I, I hope it's, it's, it's sort of like a, a love mission or something like that. Yes, as you know, it came from the grassroots and, and since it came from ALOC, it came from uh, educators and leaders of, of colors and, and our allies, let's say. So it came from this space. So that's sort of like the birthplace of the continuum. And what has happened is like, I, after a period where I was, I don't know if you, if you speak another language, but when, when you are a bilingual or you're learning another language, you go to a sort of silent period 
where it's not the same for everyone, but mostly you sort of like I taken in, taken in. And that's what I felt in international education and taken in. And also uh, I'm going to use words that people don't like to hear, but oppression, the oppression of being in international schools. I had that. I had that. And, and the problem was I didn't realize I was being oppressed until I started like, you know, seeing the stories from, from, from other similar educators as me. And I'm like, that's right. And now I feel like from all of that, from my, you know, obviously my studies, my research, my lived experiences and the lived experiences of, of members of ALOC, um, that's, this is where it has come from, uh, the idea continuum. And so in that regard, it's sort of like multi-perspective because if you've been in the community visioning and everything, so what, what will define uh, the educators and leaders of color is not only just the race, right? We are multifaceted individuals. So we have individuals and teachers like me who perhaps are, you know, Latino and black at the same time. And um, I am cisgender, like I'm heterosexual, but I also have uh, the perspectives from other educators who are not like me. So in even though it came from ALOC, we are like, um, you know, like very diverse in terms of like perspective, where we come from. I've been working with, with different educators from, from ALOC that have informed that. So what I want to say, first of all, like the, the, the continuum itself is not just sort of like the set of indicators. It's actually a program of support for schools, right? But because we want to evidence the school's progress and help them evidence the school progress for first, and seeing the reality, uh, then we need to know what we're looking for. And that's, those, that's where the indicators come from. And that revision that uh, offering the perspectives of these indicators that make sense that has come from, for example, Alisa Perreras, yes, and, and other educators that, that have seen it and work with it from the same perspective, from, from the LGBT perspective, uh, and obviously from the ethnicity and linguistic perspective. So all of that is, is, is being informed, influenced uh, the indicators. However, the program of support is sort of like for us taking the schools from committing to leading. And, and so that's what it is. It's sort of like with, with the idea continuum of, of the system of support. Um, basically, ALOC has offered that other side that schools perhaps sometimes even fear. The, you know, they, they yeah, I could say no sometimes, a lot, a lot of them fear. Because it's like if, you, if you've always worked from one side of things and use the same lenses, you, you haven't sort of like eased your way into that. Because I, you know, I've heard and I know firsthand what schools will have a quota where like we have one black educator, we have one couple with children, you know, we have one, that's, that's it. So, <laughs> so when we have uh, used this same lens for so long, it's obviously, it's going to be hard. You have to be very intentional and, and do that this deliberately, seeking out these other perspectives. And one of the things that other uh, you might hear out there is like, oh no, yes, we have different perspectives because we think differently. Mm -hmm. But how can you think differently when your lived experiences are very similar and, and, and the lived experiences of your educators, of your leaders and stuff like that are 
of one particular alignment with dominant uh, you know, groups. So how diverse can you be thinking? Uh, and maybe that's what the technology industry knows, right? If you truly are looking for innovation, like international schools really, you know, we, we, we sell that innovation and learning. Um, for the future, for the 21st century. So how can you be truly innovative when you are drawing from the same way of thinking all the time and, and, and enabling the same skills that we have been enabling from, from, from the inception of international education, right? Where we uphold only one type of global citizenship. Uh, and not, for example, like I was saying, maybe at the end I wanted to, to talk about that as well. Like, what are those skills that are coming from other groups of other lived experiences, other ways of being that we are sort of missing out because we don't have it in our spaces. Uh, yeah, so so that's why the continuum seeks to, to see that. Uh, to infuse it with that. And obviously it's not a perfect set and it won't be ever perfect because it has to be, uh, it's basically a roadmap for a school. So unless the school embarks in the journey and makes it theirs, you see, that's when they con the, the indicators will come alive. Your expertise and your wisdom. And, you know, again, I, I love talking about how it's grassroots because I feel like, you know, you, you mentioned it the top of the episode about you know your your teaching your, your philosophy as an educator and where that's at now and when i think back to when i first became a teacher you know often at the beginning of that journey you're asked to like write your teaching philosophy before you really have a lot of experience um and i it's incredible to think i mean hopefully that philosophy evolves as we have experiences as our network builds right um, and I feel like the older I get, the more I learn, the more I see it's grassroots efforts that are the most sustainable and perhaps even the most authentic. Um, yes, I think I have a really like before I used to feel really frustrated, like and, and so like I had no future in international education. That's honestly how I felt because none of it that is me is what international schools reflect back to me. Like I, I, my first language is Spanish, right? So I'm put in the box of just in the Spanish classroom, right? And even though those capacities and that leader, teacher leadership that I have, and even though, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna hear, you know, list all the stuff that has happened to me, but I could write a book. <laughs> but, uh, so, however, now I feel like actually your international school needs me needs people like me who are you know who have seen the challenges who knows the needs who understands the students you see i am a bilingual educator and when people and schools only want a monolingual educator how can those educators respond to the to the students that they have in front You've seen the statistics of like international education now is not what it used to be with this, you know, uh, tending to the 
embassies, children, and, and all where it comes from. It's actually in local schools, you know, schools with parents who, who I actually, I, I have to complain as well, because many times we vilify parents and we blame parents, you know, national parents for wanting to, you know, to do the, the things, uh, you know, that's another, another part. Uh, but so when, when, we, when we bring, Okay, so when I started in South Korea, one of the things that I did with my coworkers, one of the, the talks or, or, or job alike sessions that I did was intercultural competence. Because many, like you said, you start teaching, you come to a new country and, and, and you don't know yourself, right? And you only starting to experience the, the, the world and stuff like that. And then you come to, your, to this classroom with these students that are not like you, not at all. And, but you don't have that inquiry within yourself. How can I, you know, understand the students? But you have been sold that you're gonna come here to sell yourself. Basically you are the product. So you're, you're selling your English, you're selling your whiteness and, you're, and then you've been put in this classroom thinking, you see that your way is, is, is what you need to sort of, not indoctrinate, but pour into these students so they can become you know, global citizens. And so, but then it takes those educators to understand cultural references that the students don't have, uh, other ways of being, just just simply by language, sort of like you don't, if you don't have that metalinguistic skills that you that you develop only by learning another language, how can you really respond? How can you say that teaching and learning is appropriate in this classroom when you are missing so much of what these students are? You know, um, yes. So. That's what I wanted to say. So that's that's what we need. So I think the, the next level of international education is going to be that recognizing that we have not served the students in front of us. And, and how do we do that? And it doesn't have to be like, you know, a huge scary monster. It's just going to take a step by step, year after year, sort of like correcting or addressing on shifting gears. And, and starting and committing to this. Yeah, and uh, you know, honest conversations about harm that's been done. Um, you know, I, it, we are in the first week of Pride Month, um, and you know, again, I work with a lot of schools and school leaders to help them really think about what is LGBTQ plus inclusion. What does it mean to not just put up a rainbow flag but have an educational system where students really do feel welcome not just safe they feel included they see themselves in the curriculum as you're talking about um, and it's, it's interesting even just to step back as educators and ask where does queer phobia come from how has the silence in schools been a part of that right and um, I think that criticality, that problematizing what we've done and, you know, that it's not, we're not necessarily talking about decades ago. We're just talking about a few years ago, what's been problematic in our schools. As you mentioned, it's uncomfortable, but we, I also hear it's interesting, you know, we're, we're fine telling students all the time, get outside of your comfort zone, right? Schools get outside of your comfort zone, right? It's, it's good advice perhaps for us as well. And also just thinking about whose comfort zone has been prioritized 
all along, right? Um, so I, I just appreciate that you you mentioning like this is an invitation for us to really think about the healing, the needs, um, and you know to use your phrase the the human side. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right that we need it now more than perhaps ever before. Fandy, your your website has a lot of links for school leaders to. Um, come to you to find out more, to set up a call with you, to explore the continuum. And I'm just wondering, for school leaders who are coming to you, if you could maybe suggest a question or two that they might want to consider reflecting on as they consider this partnership with you, um, and you know, a phrase that, you, that you've tweeted out, you're talking about school leaders committing to leading. Um, so again, if if in an ideal world, a school leader brought a question or two to you um, in that first consultation conversation, what do you think is perhaps a good question for them to start with? Yeah, the first question is, how can I commit to change? I think, like, like what you were saying, it's not only the right thing to do in terms of serving our students, but it's also, also good business. I really believe that the next, <laughs> just me, that the next step for international education is, is this, to, to nurture students as, as, as they are and these families, welcome all these families and, and, and feel like they belong. So I think it's, it's good business as well. We can only, you know, have so much gizmos in our schools and stuff like that, but actually what builds international education, I mean, in international schools, is that belonging, isn't it? And that, that's that sense of like uh, people being able to, to feel like, like they're part of the school. So so from committing to leading, those are the steps for the, the program of support for schools. So right now are, there are educators and there are leaders who are considering how can I get ready? So if you haven't, how can I get ready for this to take my school to the next level of, you know, of excellence, let's say. And that's what I was saying in the in the community visioning. So if you, I invited educators and leaders to put on the, the equity goggles and walk around the schools. So for a leader to sort of like, like, like you do the learning walks and you want to see if, if the concepts and the learning principles are being displaced as you go across your school, same, wear them and walk through your school and see it from the lens of equity and justice and serving the students uh, of diverse cultural identities, gender identities, and, and same. So how can I get ready? And, and the program of support with the, with the IDEA continuum is, helping schools get ready and then helping them commit. What does it mean? The committing uh, stage is we go through a, a year of seeing reality. So we'll do a survey consultation, we do teacher consultation, uh, we do, we analyze, no, yes, we analyze, we gather our evidence basically. That's why it's called evidence-based because the schools will then sort of like see the reality of the learning through, through the eyes of the continuum and then sort of like make an action plan and implement change from then on. So the, uh, the milestones are like that. So committing and implementing and, and leading at the end. So I'm hope, hopefully like within five years, uh, uh, a school can get on their way to independently do this work. So the first question is, yes. So walk around, how can I get ready? 
if you are not ready yourself, one of the first steps is sort of like that self-inquiry that I'm going to invite you later on. Self-inquiry as a leader, how can I get ready? And then how can I get the board of management ready? How can I kickstart the conversation? And then how can I bring it to my community and say, well, this is our vision for a school. And we say that, you know, we are an international school or we are a multicultural school or that we care for every student here. So then how are we going to leave this vision um, and evidence this vision? I, I, again, I, listeners, please be sure, go over the show notes, check out this link to uh, again learn more send it to your school leader um I, I i just sort of think the work that you're doing fandy and you know this as you say grassroots effort it is going to be a catalyst for much needed change and a lot of what you're talking about um it also reminds me of you know in, in my personal journey my experience is you know often when you're interviewing with schools they will use this phrase they'll say you know we're looking for the right fit the right fit and i feel like you're talking about moving away from this notion of anyone needing to fit and more you know our right to belong um and that it's not necessarily like a mold that someone has to come into and conform and adapt to but um you know schools as truly adaptive schools as truly innovative um, you know, and we're again, just, creations. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and as you said, you know, belonging is incredibly powerful and I, I would bet, you know, schools that do those audits and they look at issues like retention and, you know, families who stay with them, I am sure that is a core indicator, right? Um, you know, if your school has high turnover, that probably is definitely one of the one of the issues, one of the problems. So I love that you also talk about um, belonging, not just as the right thing, but belonging as the thing that is going to truly be better for building a community. Um, it's, it's just really yeah. powerful. And it's some pedagogy actually, because I, I don't know somehow why international ed, uh, schools or international education escape that, you know, the academic knowledge that we have had for, for decades now. Like, you know, what is sound pedagogy is activating previous knowledge, you know, is like <laughs> making sure the students feel relevance to that. So, and, and many other things that we do in international schools that, would it be happening if, if these schools were located, you know, at, at the national level and not sort of like at the supra level without uh, some of the, you know, just minimum regulations? Uh, but yeah, it's very sound pedagogy. I just think it's is 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 the future, is is the now actually. But if you really want to to show how your international school is agile in that regard, this is what's happening. And unfortunately, it's coming from the from the from the outside. Is, is a change that is being motivated from the outside, right? It's no sort of like internal, but that's okay as well. How are you going to respond to this new, new environment, right? Um, and, and yeah, so th that, that is the invitation sort of like to, to come and see how can you embark in the process and maybe not to, to fear it because um, even with ALOG and, and everything, 
everybody is sort of like gifting this, you know, because it's to me is like a catalyst for change. But are we saying you you want to do this? Then there are people here who can help you. You don't have to like figure it out on your own, and it doesn't have to be this mysterious thing. Uh, that you don't know where to begin. You can just begin by getting ready and then you can begin by reaching out and, and, and step by step. You don't have to, to you know, to prove and, and to rush through the work, but you have to begin it now. <laughs> to me, the picture that you're painting and the feeling that you're communicating is also this pivot away from a nature of education, which is all about power hoarding and is truly about like, power amplifying and power building. Um, and so I, I just, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing this. Fandy, as you mentioned, of course, you are human too. So <laughs> I do just want to clarify for listeners who are wondering, um, again, if they can go to the website and reach out to you in the summer. Um, I'm sure that, um, again, you have different times where you are more available for listeners who do want to reach out um, when is a good time for you to do that? Um, and um, again, you know, I'm hoping this summer also you get to have some rest and um, recharging of batteries as well. Yes, 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 yes. So, oh, yes, I'll be I'll be on all, all of uh, June and, and August. In July, I'm going to take it easy as well. But also in July, uh, I have uh, a program with uh, Nyon Weaver as well that we're bringing on. And it is in response to that need, uh, realizing that uh, many leaders perhaps uh, find it a bit mysterious. And like I said, one of the things that we have to start is with the self, right? And so that we are offering a four week uh, sort of self inquiry coaching program. It's only one hour a week. So we will meet for one hour and we're going to do, cause like I, I have, uh, you know, uh, training in, coaching, uh, cognitive coaching and teams coaching. So we're going to apply all of this into um, racial literacy and mindful self-inquiry for leaders and educators, like what we were saying before, sort of like first you have to sort of uh, reflect and know a little bit about yourself and see how are you coming into the classroom, into your institution, your school. And so that's that's what we're doing during the during the summer. And then just ready to begin again in August. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, again, the, the link to learn more about that is in the show notes. Fandy, thank you so much for so being so generous with your time today. Listeners, head over to the show notes. Be sure to connect with Fandy. Um, and again, I, I hope that you enjoy that July period where you get some, some rest. <laughs> thank you again. Thank you, Trisha. <laughs> All of the information discussed in today's conversation, um, links to those resources can be found in the show notes. And as an added bonus, we're going to leave you with a special advert to that coaching session in July with Nayong and Fandy. Hello, everyone. This summer of learning, we are opening a space for mindful self-inquiry on racial literacy and intercultural competence. This coaching program will take place online over four weeks. We will be meeting for one hour every week to delve into concepts of identity, anti-racism and cultural understanding. This is in order to understand our positionality as teachers or as leaders in the classroom or at the institutional level. We do know that this is a first step 
for building equitable learning spaces. To gain racial literacy will help you see the world of the classroom or the teaching and learning through the eyes of your students or the pupils that you serve. So we hope you can join us. The program starts the 5th of July. Uh, we'll share the registration link in the description. Hope to see you soon.